0: Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. So last week, in a chapter of 27 verses, we covered 16 of those verses. And as you see on your handout, we're not covering 16 verses today. We're only going to cover four verses. And I'll go ahead and tell you that today is probably not a goosebump type service. And that's okay. Every service is not that way. So uh, last week, we saw 16 verses. As Paul is winding down the book of Romans, the first two in chapter 16, he's commending this lady named Phoebe who is carrying the letter from Corinth to the churches at Rome. So he's commending her. She's a sister. She's a servant. She's a giver, a patron. So take care of her needs. And then he goes on this list of 26 different people that he knows by name. And he knows where they're at. And that's very challenging to me that Paul, with all the churches that he's involved with, knows where these 26 folks are at and he greets them by name or families and groups and others that are not even listed by name and not on the screen but before we read our text um, we'll see the last verse uh, that we looked at last week, verse 16 Paul says, greet one another we looked at six points in last week's message the last one was brought out of verse 16 greet one another with a holy kiss okay so We didn't take that literally, we saw that was probably cultural and that could really be taken as inappropriate in our culture, but we replaced that physical expression of unity and love with a hearty handshake, an appropriate hug, and so I've had some of those already today, and I hope you have too, and so hopefully you remember that message and you like putting it into practice, but Paul is going to do a very quick, almost an abrupt pivot from... Welcoming and expressing a physical love and unity to one another to, uh-oh, some folks are going to try to take advantage of that. And I think we are a loving church, and I'm very thankful for that. And I think we've, the two years I've been here, we're a very unified church and a lot of positives, but Paul knows those same same things about the church at Rome and some false teachers, I'm going to use that word today that's not in the text, but I think that's what Paul's talking about. Some people will prey on that spirit in a group of people and they'll want to capitalize on it. Well, these people are loving, these people are unified, and these are kind of action people. And so they'll they'll see that as an opportunity to do what they do and let's see what they do. So verse 17 to 20 is our text today. Uh, Again, a quick pivot. Paul goes from greeting to warning. And then he does finish in verse 20 with a word of hope but three words of three verses of words of warning verse 17 this is for us today again not a goosebump message probably not going to be anybody's favorite message in Romans but a necessary message a needed message I appeal to you brothers say this over and over that means brothers and sisters I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions I first thought about this, and without getting specific at all, I thought, boy, we have really dodged this in the entire two years I've been here. We've really been blessed. But I do remember of one situation uh, that you really would not have known about, that someone was trying to do that. And praise the Lord, they're not here. Okay? Seriously, praise the Lord, they're not here. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division. Watch out for them. Be on the lookout. The King James says, mark them. Literally, guys, we're supposed to... Uh-oh, somebody over there stirring up division. Put a mark on them. You say, Jeff, is there never a time to divide? Is there never a time to separate? Well, we're not going to go far to find the answer to that. Yes, there is a time, but mark those. Watch out for those who cause divisions. Let's continue reading. Watch out for those who cause divisions and... Here's the second part. Create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. Well, it sure seems like they're serving the Lord. Paul says no. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, their own belly. The belly representing kind of like the appetites that all of us experience and we most associate, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. These people live in that world. That's constantly what drives them. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own bellies and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. This reality, we're here at di- different spectrums of the Christian life. Uh, the older men that's all I'll say the older men's Sunday school I went in my office they used my office we were in there and took just a moment kind of when we got saved and how long we've been on the spiritual journey there's some folks in here you're new on the spiritual journey and it would not be inaccurate to say at this point you are naive you're naive in some things you're still learning I hope if you've been say 5, 10, 15, 30, 45 years you are not still naive in the things of the word of God because Paul says these people will try to use smooth talk and flattery to deceive your hearts. Verse 19. Paul says, of you Roman churches, the Romans, for your obedience, notice that word. I'm not going to key on it a lot. I'm mainly going to throw it out here at the reading. For, we could say because. Why, is this, why are they going to be making a target of us? Paul says, Really positive thing about you, but it's risky. Because you're this way, for your obedience is known to all. For a thousand miles, people know the church in Rome, they are an obedient people. I kind of word it this way. They're a hear, believe, obey kind of church. That's what I hope Graceview becomes. A hear, believe, obey kind of church. Paul says, that's your reputation, Romans. So that I rejoice over you. This is really, really good. But, I want you to be wise in what is good. Catch it? You're obedient. Everybody knows it. He's almost saying, for that reason, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I want you to be wise to what is good. Be innocent to what is evil. And then our word of hope. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Three things I want us to look at this morning. Number one, jumping right in. This will be the, over half of the message is the first point. You see it has 3 subpoints under it. First, kind of the main thought coming out of our text is beware of divisive, false teachers. Beware of divisive, false teachers. I want to propose to you, in my understanding of being here for two years, I think this is a preemptive message for us. I really do believe it is. I don't know of any false teacher in any of our classes that has a foothold and a platform. I, I don't know of any. If it ever comes to our attention, we'll, we'll address it. But I just don't sense that right now. But it doesn't mean it will not come today or tomorrow or next week. So again, I'm assuming for us this is a, a preemptive message unless, unless I'm the false teacher. But I don't think I am. It is your job to check each week to see if I am. If I am not the false teacher, then I think we're doing okay in this, but beware, it's coming. Satan will not like truth being proclaimed, and so he's going to do what he does, and they're going to try to work their way in. This is an important message. Again, not a goosebump message. I also realize that when someone takes the stance as I will today uh, proposing to a group of people there is such a thing as absolute truth that's not very popular and many of you under a certain age have been taught to question that be skeptical of that there's no such thing as absolute truth and I'm going to very much promote there is such a thing as absolute truth it is the Word of God and it is important that we promote that I'm going to promote that I always am going to take that stance and I am banking on the Holy Spirit thumping in your head and your heart that what that guy up there is saying about my word is the truth why is this so important it is urgent it is needed because truth matters you've been here a while I hope you figured this out we're not playing games we don't make speeches like Jeff every week you make a speech these are not speeches this is very different from a speech okay what we're looking at here are people I'm looking today at people that have eternal souls you will live somewhere forever there is only two places it is heaven or it is hell there are not many ways to god there is one way to god that's very exclusive truth the word of god says there is only one way to christ there's only one way to heaven there are many ways to hell and most people are on the way to hell how do we get on our way to heaven we have to have this truth believing in the promises of god about the person of the lord jesus christ that has to be protected Truth is exclusive. Two plus two is always four. If you're in class, you take a test. The answer on that is always four. Never put three, never put five. Well, that's a little narrow. Maybe it's three or maybe it's 187. None of the other answers work. truth says two plus two is four. How do we get to heaven? One way has to be protected. And here's the thought this morning. Not everybody is teaching and preaching the truth. Listen, not everyone is teaching and preaching the truth. Three things to notice in these first two verses this morning under the beware of divisive false teachers. Three things. Number one, Paul gives us the marks of false teachers. Notice with me the marks of false teachers. We go to verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Again, the King James Mark them, put a mark on them Be watching for them Come in every week with your radar up But I must begin here, okay? I want to be careful I don't want us to be extremists in this And so I want to share what I think is a balanced approach to this verse Alright? i begin with this statement Check me out Is this true or not? I want to propose to you There is a difference between incomplete doctrine and false teaching. So I don't want us to be extremists. Somebody has a take on a verse that's a little different than than yours or someone else that you've heard about and you respect this other person. False teacher, careful. There's a difference between incomplete doctrine. Listen, all of us are there. Everybody in the building, myself included. We are all in the category of having incomplete doctrine. There's a difference between incomplete doctrine and a false teacher. Oh, incomplete doctrine must be a false teacher. Don't do that. Remember last week? I had this guy named Apollos. He was a Jew. He's out of Alexandria, Egypt. He comes up to Ephesus. There's a couple there named Aquila and Priscilla. They've been discipled by Paul. Paul starts a little work there in Ephesus. Paul goes back to Jerusalem. In comes Apollos. Apollos is very gifted. Apollos is called mighty in the Scriptures. He's really well versed in the Old Testament. He knows his, he knows a lot about the Word of God. He's a very powerful speaker, very fervent, the Bible says, very effective. And I want to use this word. He is very accurate. He is accurate in what he's saying, but he's incomplete. And so as Aquila and Priscilla are hearing this man preach, again, accurate, effective, gifted, fervent, all these wonderful things, but he's just, He's incomplete. He doesn't know as much as they do. They've been taught by the Apostle Paul. They pull him aside and they show unto him the way of of God more perfectly. And now he's a more complete preacher and teacher. So was he a false teacher before when he was less complete in his understanding? No, he wasn't a false teacher. He was accurate there. Now he's more accurate. I feel like I need to qualify these things. Over the last 21 months, if you've been here, you've heard me quote specific statements from teachers and preachers Bible teachers, Bible preachers and when I quote them I'm lending my support behind what that statement is and not everything that they ever say I've quoted people like John MacArthur, John Piper, William Barclay Alva J. McLean, Warren Wiersbe, Richard Halverson John R. W. Stott, J. I. Packer here's the thing you need to know None of these guys agree with each other 100% of the time. None of them. I don't agree with any of them 100% of the time. I don't have it in my mind right now, but every one of them, as I've tracked with them for either eight chapters now or 16 chapters with them and checking them as sources, am I on the right track? And like, wow, yeah, well, they're all saying the same thing. So that really validates or, whoa, they're saying it so much better. I'm going to use their quote. But here's the thing. They don't always agree with each other. So that doesn't mean they're false teachers. Doesn't mean that. They're human. In fact, I've been, shared with the men a while ago, I've been teaching, preaching in some form for, let me get that right, it's not be 39 years, that's 36 years I've been teaching and preaching. In the early years, literally every three months, a message and like 12-year-old and then, do that for a little while but boy what's about 1995 I started teaching full-time in a Christian school four Bible classes a Sunday school throw in the occasional chapter I'm teaching all the time I mentioned that because of this there are things over the last 36 years that I now don't agree with that I said earlier so I guess you was a false teacher back then and now you're a true teacher no I was incomplete inaccurate in some things one major thing that I had a huge shift in that I have shared with you as we've gone through the book of Romans Any preacher who's paying attention and honest would say if they preach very long, uh, they would change some things from their past. Why? Hear me. We are fallible. You're fallible. None of us are inspired apostles. That's why, here's an important statement. When you come to the house of God, you need to know what the Holy Spirit sounds like and constantly be checking the teachers and preachers by the message of the Word of God. Or what they're saying, is it lining up with the Scriptures? I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Never assume I'm telling the truth. Never take my word for it and don't take your word for it. Let's take the Word of God's word for it. It's very important. So, inaccurate... A little bit inaccurate in one of the things, uh, you know, some portion of Scripture doesn't automatically mean, oh, that's a false teacher. He messed that up, not listen to him ever again. doesn't mean that. Incomplete doesn't mean false teacher. One more quick point. I want to get this in. It doesn't affect everybody here, but it neat said. This text, verse number 17, is not a proof text for some folks, this really does happen, who like to sit in their little cave. That's what I kind of picture them in. They're in their little cave, and they download messages and writings of people that have become their targets, and some of them are true, good Bible teachers, Bible preachers, but they've become the target of this person. And so what do they do? They download everything that they can get of this person, and they nitpick it, looking for the slightest little error. And what they often do is pull it out of context to put in their little blog or their little article, and then they'll quote someone else over here as though because they quoted something out of context, it's now authoritative, and start building their case, and they'll send these articles and blogs out to people to attack these people who are trying to do the work of God. You say, Jeff, what's your opinion of these folks? They need to get a life, get out of the cave, get behind the screen, start doing something for God instead of attacking people who are doing something for God. Just nitpicking all the time. And they would look at this passage and say, we're defending the truth. No, you're dividing the people of God. You're the ones who are dividing and being divisive, creating fights that should not exist. So if I could sum that thought up this way, it's in your notes, I would say it this way. It is important for us to differentiate between being unintentionally inaccurate. I've been that. That's one thing. Boy, no one's going to agree on every verse in the Scripture. So it's a difference between being unintentionally inaccurate and what John Stott refers to as the false teacher's, here's your quote, deliberate. Say, Jeff, what's the marks of the false teacher? The false teacher's deliberate mischief in disrupting the fellowship and contradicting apostolic teaching. They're mischievous in how they come in and teach in such a way so as to divide and, hey, how many are coming over to my side and let's start attacking those people and they don't care what the damage is. And they're contradicting the clear teachings of the apostolic writings in the Word of God. So I want to make a couple more clarifications. What Paul is writing about, I'll read it again. I appeal to you brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Paul is not referring here, I I feel confident about saying this, you need to check, ask the Holy Spirit, is that accurate what he's saying? Paul, in my heart, is not referring to differences among good Bible teachers and preachers on what we would call secondary and tertiary issues like we looked at back in chapter 14. You remember chapter 14? Secondary issue, I can tell you right now, I've sat just back in January in a conference where good men who as they're teaching and preaching are right on the primary doctrines but they're kind of disagreeing on whether sign gifts in the New Testament are continuing or if they have ceased. And there wasn't an argument, it's just kind of a little shade different and that one has a little bit of shade different. We're talking about things like the end times prophecy. So someone, you're going to take a passage out of Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Matthew, Revelation. Good luck finding anyone who's going to put all of those passages in exactly the same order. Heretics, they're all heretics. There's not one good teacher in all the land. No, those are just some disagreements over things like secondary and tertiary and music styles. One more quick point. Paul is not referring to Christians who are overly sensitive in their conscience and have too many rules. This is not what he's referring to. Someone's too strict on themselves and they live their Christian life by not doing that and not doing that and they force themselves to do that. Oh, we need to separate from them. They're false teachers. No, remember chapter 14. They are to be welcomed. We welcome the weak in the faith. So what is he talking about here? These are the people who are disagreeing and contradicting The teachings of the Bible that we've been taught on things like Christology. Here's, I'm going to give you three categories. You you want to find a false teacher? Find out what they're saying about Jesus. Is Jesus the Son of God? Is He God? Is He also human? Is He fully God and fully human? Find out what they believe about the Bible. Do they say, yeah, the Bible contains the Word of God? Or do they say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? All Scripture is profitable. Find out what they say about how to be saved. Is it salvation by grace through faith alone plus nothing else? Grace, God gives it away. You do have to take him up on his promise. You do have to trust his promise. Salvation by grace through faith or do they lace it with works? That's the group that are false teachers. Second thing we notice under the first point is this. Verse 18, we see the motives of false teachers. The motives of false teachers. Paul says, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. I'm going to offer this again, my opinion, but I think I'm safe here. Ready? A false teacher can be such for the content of his teaching. Dead giveaway. Yeah, see? He's wrong on the doctrines. False teacher. But a false teacher can, in the main, be right on his doctrine, but the conduct of his life is sinful to the degree that Paul is describing here. So again, a false teacher can be such for his Content of his teaching or for the conduct of his life. A couple of qualifiers, got to put this in again. Hope you're tracking. No teacher is infallible. We're all incomplete and sometimes we get a little bit inaccurate. No one in the ministry is sinless. And so no one needs to walk away and say, Well, I guess verse 18 saying, If a preacher, someone in the ministry, a teacher commits sin, then they're a false teacher. No one is sinless we all have sin we all have daily sin so what's verse 18 describing verse 18 again such pe- persons do not serve our lord christ but their own appetite verse 18 describes supposed religious leaders who are slaves A key word we maybe didn't emphasize it when we read it do you see it for such persons do not serve they are not enslaved serving the lord christ they're enslaved to their own appetites. And so what he's describing are religious leaders who are slaves to their selfish appetites. The lust of the flesh and all that. time, I want to feel a certain thing. The lust of the eye, they're enslaved to that. It dictates to them and the pride of life. So my take on that is I would say this. Here's a false teacher. A false teacher is someone who's in the ministry using the ministry as a platform for personal power and possessions can I offer that to you false teachers their motive they're in the ministry for power personal power and for possessions they don't care when their teaching divides the people of God why they don't love the people of God they don't love God in their mind it's my church it's my ministry things start going awry I'll Divide, get as many as I can to my side. If it doesn't work out there, I'll leave a mess and leave, you know, devastation in my wake and I'll go to the next place that seems open to my style of teaching. Again, they use the ministry as a platform for personal power and possessions. Let me give you what I believe are some some tips and some clues to watch for. Here's one. Rarely are they satisfied with a lower level. They're consumed with getting to the top. Power is like a drug, can't get enough of it. More power, more and more power. They are consumed with things like numbers. Consumed, not concerned, should be concerned. In the ministry, should be concerned with with the numbers and the money. Okay, concerned, keeping up on that. But I'm talking about someone who's consumed with the money, consumed with the numbers, consumed with titles. It, It kind of bothers them to hear that someone else is succeeding and god's blessing someone else in the ministry maybe even more than where they're at and that really and they'd like to see them go down and themselves go up they're in it for the power and the possessions so friday uh, i'm looking over my notes actually i wasn't even looking over my notes and thought about something and out of the blue i had to grab my notes and write the following thought maybe and you probably haven't thought it yet but someone you may say hold on time out jeff so are saying they're in the ministry, false teachers in the ministry for power and possessions. Doesn't that describe most everyone who's in the workforce in Anderson County? Aren't most people in it for power and possessions? Aren't most people trying to move up the ladder and make more and more money so they can have more and more possessions? And here's the thought. So if that's what's happening with most people, and it probably is, so then what's wrong if the minister is doing the same thing? Does that make him a false teacher? To that I would answer two things. Number one, I hope that you're not at your job merely to to power play and climb a ladder and merely to make money so you can have more things. I hope you're at your job honestly thinking I'm serving God in this and Lord I want you to bless me and so that I do want to make a a better wage not just so that I have more possessions. Lord I want to be a giver and Lord I want to serve the community even through my work. I hope you have an honest attitude that is more than power playing and possessions second thing I would say is this going back to the minister so does that make him false teacher if everyone else is doing it my answer to that would be this those who are in the ministry are supposed to be espousing and modeling the teachings of the Bible and of the Lord Jesus Christ and if they have those motives as their motive then they apparently don't know the teachings of the Bible or the teachings of Christ or they know them but they don't follow their own preaching they don't follow their own teaching and so for that reason I'd say yes they are disqualified They are disqualified. Again, I hope you're not at your job for power and possessions merely, but if someone's in the ministry, you're disqualified. Get out if that's what motivates you. So if someone says, hey, why are you in the ministry if their answer goes something like this? Well, I just figured that since I'm a good talker, that was an area I could do well for myself. The ministry isn't about doing well for yourself. The ministry is about doing well for the Lord. It's about himself, not yourself. Third, would you notice not only their marks and their motives, but we see in the second part, of, third part of uh, verse 18, the methods of false teachers. The methods. And this one we don't have to spend a long time on. Look at verse 18. Such persons do not describe our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And here's their method: by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Again, not a goosebump message today. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Smooth talk, flattery. What can we learn? Ready? False teachers within a church are not immediately recognizable. They will not be a dead giveaway. They will not be wearing a sign. They'll not walk in the door and I go greet them. Hey, welcome to Graceview. Good to have you. My name's Jeff. Oh, my name's Joe Bob. I'm a false teacher looking for a church. Looks like I've got a group here. And maybe I can get a foothold here. Oh, good to have you, man. Come right on up front row. Sit with me. This is great. Good to have you. They're never going to do that. They're not going to be made obvious by harsh tones. Ooh, that guy's mean. I bet he's a false teacher harsh expressions no they are going to speak well they are going to speak convincingly they are going to come across as really nice going to come across as kind listen they are going to use bible terminology bible words now they have different meanings when they use them but that is how they are going to come across they are going to use flattery you know what flattery is it is telling you what you want to hear they tell you what you want to hear and by the way there are small groups of people who like hard screaming angry mean us against the world messages but most people like the health and wealth messages They're going to find their group and they're going to tell you what you want to hear. So beware. MacArthur writes the following. told you sometimes I pull these quotes from these fellas that I think are fitting. He says, quote, many false teachers devote their lives to the study of Scripture. Let that sink in. Many false teachers. I agree. Maybe you don't. That's fine. This is not Scripture. This is a quote from a fallible man. Again, many false teachers devote their lives to the study of Scripture, but because they have never trusted in Christ for salvation and because they view the Bible as man's ideas about God rather than God's revelation to man, they distort His word and twist it to fit their own sinful predispositions. That's false teaching. Watch what Paul says at the end, verse 17. I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught avoid them avoid them, real simple Paul says once somebody has been marked and identified as a false teacher, they're creating divisiveness that doesn't need to be there and their teaching is contrary to the teaching of The Word of God, the teaching that the Romans had been taught, the teaching basically, I believe, one of the things Paul is implying is what's in this letter of Romans, someone's going against the teaching of the book of Romans. Paul says, put a mark on them and avoid them. Separate from them. We could even say divide from them. By the way, I thought of this. Some of you, several of you, 30 years ago, had to do that very thing. Jeff, is there ever a time to avoid and divide and separate? Absolutely there is. Again, on those primary things, we can disagree on some lesser things, but if someone's up undermining the word of God if I ever come in here and undermining the word of God you need to get rid of me or you need to leave there is a time to do that Paul says they must not be given a foothold, do not give them a platform in the church do not give them a platform in your life listen, don't buy their books don't read their articles, don't read their blogs don't listen to their podcasts don't watch their broadcasts. I don't care how professionally they're done. It doesn't Listen, it doesn't matter how many stories, and how they link the story to the next story, to the next story, and how great the stories are, and how big their smile is, and how many people are in their dome. It doesn't matter if they have college. Don't attend their college. Don't take their courses. Check them. How do you get saved? You never talk about how to get saved. You're always on there. And you pin them down, you find out you don't believe how the Bible says to get saved. Don't follow those people. False teaching. I can say it this way. Not everyone with a book or a school or a broadcast or a pulpit is God's man. Be selective. Be real selective. The next note is this. We're not looking for spiritual fights. Please understand. I hope I made that clear earlier. Hey, it's not just unintentional inaccuracy on a secondary tertiary passage that is unclear that good people, good men, good women disagree on. We're not talking about that. Here's what we cannot do. We cannot coddle heresy by sacrificing the truth for the sake of a supposed false peace. False unity. Listen, I know they believe that about salvation. We believe this about salvation. But can't we just get along? Okay, they think Jesus is that. Maybe they think he really did become human. He was just kind of a ghost. And we believe he really did become human and yet remained God. Can't we just get along? No, we cannot. Cannot. They cannot have a platform among us. We cannot unify on that. That is a time to break the peace. Avoid them. Paul literally says, avoid. So our second point this morning look at verse 19 for your obedience is known to all so that i rejoice over you but i want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil very simple second point be wise as to what is good be wise as to what is good talk about that for just a minute ready be wise Praise to you be wise as to what is good before i launch into that would you look back just for a moment at verse 17? Did you catch the paradox? The first five, ten times I read verse, this, these four verses, I did not catch it. It was later on that this kind of jumped at me and it bothered me a little bit. And I'm thinking, that's almost hypocritical. Did you catch it? And then one of the people that I referred to earlier also spotted this. And I noticed that they had an issue with it and came to the same conclusion. So it kind of validated what I'm going to propose to you. Look at verse 17. Do you see the paradox? Here it comes. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions. Watch out for them. They're separating. They're dividing. They're pulling apart. And they create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Somebody comes in and they're dividing. Divide from them. They're causing division. So you divide from them. And here's the real problem that I ran into. I've seen this. The difficult part is some folks will use the end of verse 17. Avoid them. Come over here with me apart from them. And the way they're doing it and what they're doing it over is nothing more than fulfilling the first part of verse 17. They're being the divisive person. But they're using the end of verse 17 as the rallying cry. Divide. Separate with me. Come apart. Well, Jeff, hold on, this is confusing so I have to ask myself this question. Who's to say I'm not doing that right now? Jeff, just well to ago, you told us don't buy their books, don't watch their broadcasts, don't give them a platform, don't go to their colleges, don't take their courses. You're telling us separate, divide. Maybe you're the guy. Maybe you're the one that's 17A. Maybe you're the divisive person. But the more we've got to ask ourselves this, how do we know we're correct? How do you know you're correct? Wait a minute. We're over here getting ready to divide on something. We think this is strong enough. Maybe we're the ones. Maybe we shouldn't be dividing. There's this tension. I want to propose to you that the key to the paradox is the word doctrine that's taught in the Bible. This is the key. This is the part of the message that I realize is going to get familiar for those of you that have been in church a long time. And you're going to be tempted to kind of tune out the next few minutes. Please don't. What Paul is calling for Christians to be so in tune with God. I know God. So in tune with His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I know what you sound like. I've been walking with you through the week. We've been meeting in the Word of God. You talk with me. I know God. I know what He sounds like. I know His Word. I'm so familiar with His Word that you use the Word of God as the dividing line to determine what is a false teacher and not your feelings and not what someone else says. You're going to use the Word of God to pull out a false teacher. Use the Word of God as a reason to pull apart and avoid. So I've got to ask you this this morning. Don't tune out here. Can you use the Word of God to spot false teaching like, uh-oh, that's not right? When you hear it on the radio, when you see it on television. Not everybody on ra- radio and television are God's people. When you hear it and see it, can you spot it quickly? Nothing original, what I'm about to say. You've heard this. A bank teller has to watch out for counterfeit money, right? A lot of fakes, a lot of phonies. I don't know how many are out there. I know this, there's no possible way for them to memorize every possible counterfeit style of money. I know that the big bills, they now have the marker and they'll put the marker on there, but eventually somebody's going to come up with something that passes the marker test. So what we know is, and maybe some of you have been a bank teller before, the way they can learn a counterfeit is just by being so used to handling the real money, the feel of it, the look of it, so that when they're counting, you give them a, a, a ball of cash and they're counting, all of a sudden, something doesn't feel right. And they look at that and they put a marker on it. Oh, okay, that's just kind of weird. Or they put the marker on like, uh-oh, we cannot accept this. And where did you get this? Did you catch it? They are so used to handling the real that they can spot the counterfeit lesson. Here's the lesson. Our first defense against false teaching is to learn true doctrine. I'm going to invite you right here. Do not turn me out because you're going to think, this is where Jeff's going to sound like the typical pastor where he's going to talk to us about reading the Bible and learning Bible doctrine. Yes, I am. Why? Well, because it's right, but... Today, can I kill this thought? So many people. You saw my notes. You'd see capital S, capital O, capital O, and I ran out of lines because when I first typed it, I put so. And I like to edit my notes to where I get down to four pages, and now it makes me at least feel better, like I'm going to go shorter. And so I could only do so, two O's. But I mean, here, so Jeff, where are you going? Watch. So that's funny. This, this is not funny. So many people are struggling right now. Deanna and I were talking about this the other day. It's almost like the need is too great. Many people are struggling. Many people. There's no way to meet with as many people that are struggling. Now, some are struggling because they're going through unusual circumstances. And they do, do need special time. There's some folks like that. But not everybody. I'm going to tell you why a lot of people are struggling. Many struggles can be traced up to professed Christians not learning Bible doctrine. I know that sounds so old school. That's such a simple answer. I'm telling you. Spend time on everything else. I love a good movie and I love a good sports show. Love it. But if all you do is sports, 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 and all you do is movies, 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 Video, 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 YouTube, YouTube, YouTube all the time and you're never in the Word of God. And I've got problems. I'm having struggles. I'm telling you the problem. You're not learning Bible doctrine. I really appreciate those of you who've stuck it out in Romans, particularly those of you that were there in the first 11 chapters when it was so much doctrine and it was heavy and maybe not what you were used to and you just kept coming and you you changed because of it. You were different now. You think differently because of it. Your appetite is a little different. I'll tell you the second reason why a lot of people are struggling. Many have not learned Bible doctrine, and others who have learned it are not obeying Bible doctrine. Paul says of the Roman church, verse 19, your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. I love that about you, but here's the warning. It's risky to be a hear, believe, obey kind of church because false teachers are going to see that as really fertile ground for them. They lo- oh, look like you got, you people take action and get behind. and That's the kind of people I want to influence. And Paul says, you've got to be especially careful. Listen, careful for what? Be wise. Be wise in what is good. I think what he's talking about here is the Word of God. Be wise in the Word of God. Be wise in what is good. And then we have the end of verse 19. Would you look at it? I didn't have room for this. The second point is really two parts. I only had room on your handout for one the first part. It is two parts, though. Be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Be innocent as to what is evil. Right here is where I'm going to take a little detour. There's a lot of ways I could go here, but I'm going to really target probably only 20% of our audience, maybe 25. It's our youngest people that are in here. Young people, I want you to listen. The Bible, Paul is saying, I want you to be wise as to what is good and I want you to be innocent as to what is evil. Having worked with young people many years in Christian settings, I'll just tell you, mainly what I'm talking about is a Christian school environment. I've seen this following played out several times. I've sensed that some of the young people in the settings that I've just described, sometimes they feel like they're lagging behind their peers in life experiences because they're in their late teens they're 16, 18, even 20, 22 years old and still haven't dabbled in alcohol everybody's doing it that literally is the word on the street oh everybody, everybody's doing it and here they are, they haven't they feel weird for it I'm missing out everybody else has done this they're 16, 18, 20 years old and they've yet to dabble with drugs again You haven't even done that. Everybody did that when they were 12, man. You haven't lived. What's the matter with you? Listen, I can fix you up on that. Come out Friday night. We'll we'll fix you. (laughs) Hey, did you know that he... Here's one. They're 16, 18, 20 years old, and they've yet to dabble into sexual activity. And this is what bothers me. It doesn't make me angry at our young people that are innocent. It's that they feel such tremendous, tremendous peer pressure. And I've seen them interact. And it's almost as though they feel a sense of shame for their innocence. Think about that phrase. They really do. Because they're outnumbered. You say, Jeff, where is this at? Oh, yeah, Jeff, I remember when I was a kid, I felt that peer pressure. Guys, it's worse. It's worse. Listen. It's on the bus, it's in the hallway, it's in the cafeteria, it's in the locker, it's at the game on Friday night, and now they can't even go home and escape at home. It's on their phone and the social media in their bedroom. It is always right there. I'm the weird one. And some of them are sitting right here this morning. And you're tempted to feel ashamed for innocence. Think about that. Let's go to prison. And let's say 94% of the people there are guilty and 6% are innocent. Are you going to feel guilty and ashamed I'm innocent and they're all guilty. Uh, hello? This is not a bad thing. Sorry that you're here and having to experience this. It's a good thing that you're innocent. Don't lose your innocence. I know I'm not talking a lot to the adults right now, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will make application for all of us. J.I. Packer writes the following. He wrote it in 1973. At first, I thought it's much more true now than it was then, but then I thought about what he wrote and like I remember what they say of the nineteen sixties. It was probably equally true then as it is now. So I'll be balanced. Here's what he writes. Nineteen seventy three, J.I. Packer wrote the following. He says, quote, Nowadays, you listening? Young people, listening. Nowadays some will maintain in the name of humanism that the Puritan sexual morality of the Bible is inimical to the attainment of true human maturity. I'll read it again, telling you that the word inimical means obstructing. It's hindering. It's obstructing. Here it is again. He says Some will maintain in the name of humanism that the Puritan sexual morality of the Bible is inimical to the attainment of true human maturity and that a little more license makes for richer living. Dude, you haven't lived what they're saying you haven't lived and it applies to those other areas it kind of goes like this hey man you've never had a drink how old are you drink this it'll make a man out of you oh okay is that all it's going to take let me have that i didn't know that drinking something's going to make a man out of me instantly you've never had that come on you at least have to try just a few puffs of this come on everybody's doing it It'll make a man out of you. You haven't lived if you haven't. How old are you, son? What's your girl's name? Let me tell you what to do next time. There. What's her name again? Right, let me tell you. You do that. Follow my instructions, and you'll be a man. You'll really start living. I'm with Packer who writes the following. He says, of this ideology, we would say that the proper name for it is not humanism, but brutism, brutism, sleeping all around. He says, sexual laxity does not make you more human. Oh, look, I'm more human. I'm so much more experienced. Sexual laxity does not make you more human, but less so. It brutalizes you and tears your soul to pieces. It really does. And I know the pressure's on, boy, our young people. And, and here's, here's the lie. Nobody, Jeff, can live in 21st century, even the 20th century, with, and still be a virgin at 18, 20, 22, 24 years old. It's just impossible. Nobody can go through life not at least having had some alcohol. Not to toot my horn, this is to the glory of God. When Deanna and I got, twi- got married at age 21, we were both virgins, and I'd never had alcohol, still haven't. Yeah, you're in the minority. But that's OK. Keep your innocence. J.B. Phillips paraphrases at the end of verse 19 way this way. Here's kind of what he's thinking, what Paul is telling us here this young people. Paul's saying, "I want you to be experts in what is good. I want you to be experts in what is good, and not even beginners in evil. I like that. Young people. Be experts. Make a point. I want to become an expert in the doctrine of the Word of God so that when Satan tries to tell me lies, I can spot it. And I don't even want to be a beginner when it comes to evil. So when it comes to our young people, I wish I could change the dynamic, change their perspective. Here's what I would do. I would say, listen... Please don't feel the pressure from that group that is just displeasing God. See that group of people? They're small people displeasing God. I wish I could let them see an eternal perspective. Do you see the delight of God for your faith and your obedience? This means so much more. If you could see both, I know you can't. You don't see God with your eyes. But if you could see both, you'd say they are nothing. His pleasure means everything. That's where it's at. I wish I could shift the perspective to this. Listen. Young people, listen. I wish you could hear the addict, or better yet, the spouse of the addict, pleading with you that the temporary high of substance abuse and acceptance by a peer group comes with a very high price. Can I say it this way, young people? No one begins by seeing themselves as that addict. Nobody starts that way. Yeah, give me some of that. Yeah, let me puff that, swallow that, shoot that. I want to become an addict. I want to lose my wife and my kids and my home and unable to keep a job. That's what I want. Nobody sees that. Nobody in the beginning sees themselves with a the teenage pregnancy. No one. No one sees and begins thinking, I want a bunch of emotional scars. I want spiritual guilt. I wish I could tell the young person, in the moment of pressure, I wish they knew that, here's important, innocence in an area can be forfeited at any time in the future, any time. You can give up your innocence at any time, but you can never have it back, you never get it back. And I wish you could hear this, many people who've lost their innocence see you with it and they'd love to have what you have. You can get forgiveness, but you never get your innocence back. Adults, it's a simple question. What are you starting to dabble with that is evil and you're starting to get a little experience in it that you need to stop? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit just take that question. Is there anything in your life you're starting to get a little bit of experience in it and the Holy Spirit through the Word of God in chapter 16 is saying, stop it. Don't even be a beginner. Don't become an expert in that. Be an expert in that which is good in the Word of God. Look at verse 20. So our last thought and I'll be very brief. I thought for a little while, like, boy, is this a whole other message? No, it's not. It's really, it's an end of this thought. So we're being attacked by false teachers. So that's why we need to really be expert in that which is good and innocent in that which is evil. So verse 20, just as a word of hope, and I'll spend a moment on it. Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Christian, hear this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you share some thoughts godly churches all Christians have a sworn enemy named Satan you get that he and his demonic hordes are the one who are behind the false teachers Satan and demonic forces hate truth that sets people free. They're the ones that, the false teacher may not even know what's going on, but Satan is sinning, he's orchestrating. Hey, don't don't be here anymore, I want you to go over there. Why? Because he knows God's doing something over there. I need to create a disruption. Go in there and divide those people. They may not even know that that's what their marching orders are. Listen to this, very simple but straightforward. Satan is real, he is evil, very intelligent, very experienced, he's got some seven, eight, nine, ten thousand years of experience head start on you and I, he is ruthless, he is powerful and he's filled with hate, he hates you, he hates God he hates the truth, but he's not God's equal, let's be straight on that he's not God's equal, he's not God's rival, uh oh, there's God and there's Satan, and the battle is to decide who's going to, listen The battle is real, but the battle's already decided. God God and Satan are not rivals. Satan is real. He is not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He has a lot more power than you or I. God is all powerful. Satan is not omnipresent. He's not like everywhere right now. He is one person in one place. I don't think he's at Graceview today. I really don't think he is here. I'm sure some of his are here, and I hope they're kind of being driven to the back. They're here about every week. They're going to harass you. This is real things. He's one person, one place. He is not omniscient. He does not know all things. But I do think he knows this. I'm about done. He knows. He has to know the Bible, the Word of God, is true. And so, I, honestly, I thought this week, when Satan reads, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He knows the Bible's true. How do, how do you feel when you read that By the way, I'm not talking to y'all. How do you feel? I wonder if it really irritates them because we don't do this every week. It really irritates them when we're preaching on passages, Is this kind of making them like, ah, I'm going to the back side of the parking lot while they're talking about that. This is real. They know it's going to happen. You need to be assured of our victory. Beware of divisive false teachers. Be wise in that which is good, but be assured of our victory. Thursdays are my crunch day, okay? If I hurry, I'm going to beat 12 o'clock. I'm going to beat 12 o'clock and a song, and a song. Hang with me, ready? So Thursday night, Thursdays are my crunch day. I have to finish my notes to get them to Renee so she can make screens and handouts on Friday it was late Thursday night late I won't tell you how late but it was late the next note that you're about to write on your handout took me 25 minutes I wanted to give the note but it took me probably 25 at least 25 minutes to check it I didn't have a chart somebody out there has a chart somebody's made a statement I could have quoted them but I thought is this true and so I go back to Matthew and I ended up flipping through not all 27 books but all 9 this is important how do we know this is what's really going to happen? Listen, guys, leave you with this. All nine New Testament writers are inspired by God to write as a fact and a real event the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and his victory and the crushing of Satan. All nine of them. I checked Matthew. Is it in there? I found a passage in Matthew. Mark, Luke, John, Paul. Whoever wrote Hebrews, that one was a little tough. It wasn't in there a lot. I finally, I spent a lot of time in Hebrews. I'm flipping. Is it talk about the victory and the second coming? Fine. Hebrews, James, Peter, and Jude. All nine. Let that sink in. All nine New Testament writers write about the return and the victory of the Lord as a real event. That's the key thing. It's a real event. It's going to happen really soon. We win. Now, Peter, I won't turn there, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter anticipates... There's these folks that say this. Yeah, where is the promise of his coming? Y'all yeah, have been saying that for years and years. Paul says in verse number si- uh, 20, the God of peace will soon crush. It's been 2,000 years. Doesn't sound so soon. Peter, anticipating that, says, here's what you've got to understand. A day with the Lord is a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is a day. So guys, it's been a couple of days since God made this promise. It is soon. It is coming. Just bow your head for a moment out of I want to leave you with these exhortations from our passage here's the exhortation grace view you as an individual, hear this, don't tune out hate division, hate it don't just link up with it, you sent somebody starting to cause division on the phone, hey pull apart over here for a conversation, hate it mark those who divide the people of God and create obstacles, don't be part of that to protect you and prepare you. I'm going to invite you. Would you even pray, like right now, bring my voice and these exhortations into a prayer time with God? Lord, help me be a learner of Bible doctrines and help me be an obedient person. Not just a learner, but an obedient person. Obedient. God, make us an obedient to Jesus' church, like the Romans. Not just an informed, oh, we're, we're knowledgeable. God, make us an obedient church that is also knowledgeable. Christian keep your innocence a young person you're teetering you feel battered feel like you're the only one or it's just you and two or three others keep your innocence in an area of evil everyone else may turn you don't have to meet peer pressure with an eternal perspective see the pleasure of God for your faith and your obedience and Christian hate division learn the doctrines be obedient Value your innocence. But Christian, renew your faith. Right now, faith, assurance, conviction. That's what Hebrews 11 says faith is. Assurance. Renew your assurance. Renew your conviction in the soon return of Jesus and the defeat of Satan. We win. We must hold the line. Keep loving people, loving them enough to tell them the truth. Father, thank you for these folks today. Would you please? Let us hate division. Lord, would you put a protection about us? Let the Holy Spirit protect us. But Lord, let us be on guard for false teachers. Father, I pray that this congregation would hold me and any other teacher or preacher accountable to preach your word and not just our opinions as authoritative. Lord, protect our young people. Let them value innocence. And Lord, let us be wise in the